It's okay. <laughs> what? You're going to make us? No. And, yeah, in honor of God, you're yeah, absolutely. Follow along with me, would you please, as I read from the New King James Version. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And Father, we pray that as we look at this passage today, that you will speak to our hearts, Lord. That, Lord, we'll have understanding. Pour your spirit out, Lord, that he'll give us the understanding we need. That he'll open the eyes of our hearts to receive your truth. Lord, might he... Bring us into all of your truth, Lord. Might he bring honor and glory to your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, might he give us the wisdom and discerning hearts that we need, Lord, to apply these truths in our lives today. The things we ought to do, the way that we ought to think, the way to look upon this world and our culture today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. We ask it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we pick up here in verse 12 of chapter 18, of course, last week we went through the first 11 verses of this uh, chapter and uh, toward the end there, we see in uh, verses 9 and 10, the Lord God, Jesus Christ in particular, coming to the Apostle Paul in a vision. Now, just a little background to this. As you recall, going through the book of Acts, uh, every city that, that uh, the Apostle Paul and his team went to, he would first go to the synagogue of the Jews and teach God's word and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Speak of the reality of Jesus being their Messiah. Uh, some would accept it. Most would not. More, more often than not, it was the God-fearing Gentiles who were worshiping with the, the Jews in the synagogue who really received this word from the Apostle Paul and and. In so many places, we see many, many people coming to faith in Christ. But the Jews who did not believe would come against Paul. They would oppose him, you know, from doing things like they did in his, in his first missionary journey in the city of Lystra, taking him out of the city and stoning him and leaving him for dead, or just running him out of the city, whatever it may be. But 
The world was against him. The, the Jews, his fellow Jews were against him. They would not receive the truth of God's word. And we live in a very similar world, don't we? Not receiving the truth of God's word. And so as, as we go through the book of Acts, I think we get a lot of uh, um, examples on how we can respond to our culture as Christians in an age when the word of God is not being received. But in that vision, in verse 9 and 10, we see this. Jesus came to him, as we see, in the night by a vision, and said, Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. So he's given this word of encouragement by Jesus. No one is going to hurt him. No one is going to attack you to hurt you. For I have a lot of people here in this city. And that was encouraging to Paul, obviously. And, and so Paul responded by staying. And we see in verse 11 that he continued there for 18 months, teaching the word of God among them. Now, as we look at the following passage, beginning in verse 12, this did not necessarily take place at the end of Paul's stay there. Uh, verse 11 is just a comment that Luke writes in terms of the amount of time that he actually stayed there. But probably sometime early in his stay, in fact, uh, um, I would say in the first several weeks, as often took place when Paul went into a city and the Jews who did not believe his word did not take it's a heart that Jesus is their Messiah. Uh, they, they responded with opposition. And so, again, the opposition comes. We're told when this happens. When Gallio, verse 12, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Jesus had promised Paul that there would be no attack to hurt him. But he did not tell him that there would be no attack, period. And the attack came. The attack came. They brought him before the judgment seat. Now, this is when Gallio was the proconsul there in Achaia. That, Achaia was a province the northern part of Greece, uh, the, the, actually the southern part of Greece, excuse me, the northern part would be Macedonia. And each one of those provinces was ruled by a proconsul or, or a governor. It was, it's similar to our governors in, in, in the United States. So overseeing a much larger area. In other cities, the, the Jews would bring them before the city leaders. Uh, now it's before the leader of the province, which would make a, a great deal more emphasis on whatever decision he makes. You know, if, if this leader, and we, and we see here, as we read, he shows favor to Paul. But if he, had, if he had chosen to rule against Paul and rule that he ought not to preach the gospel uh, among the Jews and any people within the city, then things would have been a lot different. And in terms of the rule that this, uh, the power that this uh, proconsul had or the governor had, you know, his decision would not only be enforced within his own province, but it would be, it would set a precedent for other provinces and they would follow it. So in effect, Gallio's decision had a lasting impact throughout the entire Roman Empire because of the position that he held. Not just the city leader, but the proconsul or, or the governor. So there was a lot of uh, weight bearing on this decision and the freedom that Paul experienced is because he decided that what he did. But look at the, the, look at the uh, charge that comes against Paul. 
He's usually saying that this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, we see here in verse 14, when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio spoke up. So Paul didn't get an opportunity to respond. Gallio, the proconsul, would not allow him to. He just, he just spoke. But I would imagine that Paul would have said something like, quoting Jesus, saying, out of Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I would imagine he would have said something like that and then elaborated on it. But he didn't get a chance to respond because Gallio spoke up. And we see here that he judged very, very wisely. He basically is saying, when he's, when, let, let's read what he said once again, verses 14 and 15. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. He didn't want to get involved with their religious squabbles. This is something for you to take care of in the context of your own worship of your God and in the context of your own law. That's your thing. It's not Roman law. I've got nothing to do with it. And basically what he was doing is, is honoring the need for a separation between church and state, wasn't he? That's what he was doing. And that, that becomes a, a pattern for democracies today as it is for us as a nation, that the lines are getting much more blurry than they used to be. But that is something that has been established by the, the Constitution of the United States for us. But this precedence has been given there in, in uh, uh, Achaia, something that we as a nation have followed. This past uh, uh, Thursday night in our National Day of Prayer uh, prayer meeting that we had, uh, one of the presenters, it was uh, uh, our brother Dirk, Dirk Mathis, who's back uh, teaching the youth right now. Uh, but he shared with us a quote from Ronald Reagan back in 1984 uh, when he addressed a, um, a group of uh, religious broadcasters at a prayer meeting. I mean, there were several thousand people at a prayer breakfast, I should say. He was, there were several, people at, several thousand people at this prayer breakfast. It was in Dallas, Texas that this took place in 1984. Now, 1984 is now 39 years ago. I voted for President Reagan. I don't know about, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, it's like, I'm just saying, it doesn't seem like that, that, that long ago, but it's been almost 40 years now. But listen to what he had to say. This is just one, uh, an excerpt. I'm, I'm going to read a little bit more than, than Dirk did for us the other day. He said this, The churches of America do not exist by the grace of the state. The churches of America are not mere citizens of the state. The churches of America exist apart. They have their own vantage point, their own authority. Religion is its own realm. It makes its own claims. We establish no religion in this country, nor will we ever. We command no worship. We mandate no belief. But we poison our society when we remove its theological underpinnings. We court corruption when we leave it bereft of belief. All are free to believe or not to believe. All are free to practice a faith or not. But those who believe must be free to speak of and act on their belief to apply moral teaching to public questions. I submit to you that the tolerant society is open to, open to and encouraging of all religions. But this does not weaken us. It strengthens us. It makes us strong. You know, 
If we look back through history to all those great civilizations, those great nations that rose up to even world dominance and then deteriorated, declined, and fell, we find that they all had one thing in common. One of the significant forerunners of their fall was their turning away from their God or gods. Without God, there is no virtue because there is no prompting of the conscience. Without God, we're mired in the material, that flat world that tells us only what the senses perceive. Without God, there is a coarsening of a society. And without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. That touches my heart. That touches my heart. And my heart cries out, Lord, please send to us again national leaders who believe that the church is necessary for the good of our country. Do you guys believe that? And we as the church need to act that way. Act for the good of our community and uh, and our country, our nation. America needs the church. America needs you and me to be the church, to live out our faith in Jesus Christ, to be able to do what he's called us to do, what he commands us to do. And we see in our world, of course, we see in our own culture, we see in this great nation our privileges, our freedoms as the church being taken away from us. We're losing the freedom to live our faith. You know, in a, in a world where, um, in our culture where, we have business owners not able, not able to make a decision on who they will do business with. It's, it's intolerable. It really is. I mean, it's, it's something that ought not to be taking place. Our country is moving against our, our religious freedoms. And this is something that's very important for us. You know, in, in, in Gallio's case here, as we... Look at Acts chapter 18. Uh, this judgment that he made freed the Apostle Paul and his missionary team and all evangelists after that within the Roman Empire to freely speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if he had judged differently, we kind of we wonder what would have happened. It would have made things incredibly more difficult. You know, aside from already the existence of spiritual warfare, the existence of, of, of the Jews working against the gospel of Jesus Christ, there would have been the entire state against that. No telling what would have happened. No, no, no telling how the progress of the gospel would have been hindered or, or what di direction the gospel would have flowed. But we do see that because... Of, of the reality of what took place. Back in, in Acts chapter 16, you remember in verses 6 through 9 in Acts 16, when uh, Paul uh, and, and Silas had just begun their second missionary journey. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Remember, Paul wanted to go west toward Ephesus, and the Holy Spirit forbade him. And then we see, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, which was to the north, by the Black Sea. But the Spirit did not permit them. So, passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, right there on the coast. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, just a, a one or two day ride on a ship across the Aegean Sea there, to Philippi. This man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so when they did that, we see that the, that, that the gospel came to Europe 
and then flowed to the west of Macedonia, down to Achaia, and then to Corinth, where this took place. And don't we see that back in uh, Asia, when Paul was attempting to go to Ephesus, the Holy Spirit was basically saying, no, I want you in Europe. I want you in Europe. I want you to go down to Corinth because I have something I want to do to make the gospel more easily preached through the Roman Empire. See that taking place? I mean, the Holy Spirit was at work with that purpose the entire time. And so it's just amazing how we see the Lord working in that way. In regard to our position as believers in a country, especially a country which, you know, we're not what we were 30, 40, 50 years ago. We, we, we're going further and further and further away from preaching and believing as a culture the gospel. And it's even entered into the churches to some degree, sadly, but it has. But I, I, I want to look at First Timothy, something that Paul wrote to Timothy, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We see Paul giving some direction in regard to our attitude toward our nation's leaders. Paul writes to Timothy, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Regardless of who's in office, regardless of where you stand politically, liberal, conservative, whatever it is, if you are a Christian, you need, first of all, to give thanks for your national leaders and pray for them. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead. Now look at this. This is why we do this. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So that we are able to live out our faith. Right? That's why we pray. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We see here this command to pray for our governing authorities is linked to, one, our freedom to live, our faith, to live a life of peace in all godliness and reverence. And secondly, it's linked to God's desire to save all men. That makes sense, though, doesn't it? If you and I are free to live out our faith, that means we're going to be talking about Jesus, and that means that as we talk about Jesus, some people are going to have an interest in him, and people are going to get saved. But God wants to use us to speak about him. But we must pray for our leaders. And, of course, we, want, we need to be praying for President Biden and Vice President Harris, the, 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 uh, the, the Senate, the House, uh, all of our national leaders, first and foremost, to come to faith in Christ so that they will be making decisions consistent with the Scriptures. And we, we just don't see that as much as we used to. Oh, there are people of faith there. And there are people who say that they are of faith, but who act differently. But we need to pray for them. We must pray. The focal point for our prayer has to be our religious freedom. Their salvation, of course, but our religious freedom. But as we see things going on in a country that we're not well excited about, let's not despair. And I didn't say let's not be concerned. I didn't say that. There, there's reason for concern. Let's not despair. Let's not be without hope. Because our Lord God 
is going to answer our prayers. We're watching the moral values in our culture come, uh, uh, come to a place of just, just basically eroding away. But you know, guys, um, according to the word of God, that's kind of what we ought to expect. Uh, we, we see Paul writing to Timothy again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, that's speaking directly in terms of speaking the gospel or teaching the truth or teaching false truth, evil men coming and teaching false truths and, and bringing people away from the truth of God's word. But, you know, Jesus said that the church is going to stand, that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And he never prom promised that the USA would stand. He never promised that any nation would stand save except for Israel. But let's not get caught up in our need to see America flourish. We want to. And I pray like many of you, just for the sake of, of our children and grandchildren, that it will return to faith in Christ. But the church is going to be fine. The church is going to be okay. That doesn't mean the church is going to be without opposition. doesn't mean that. But we'll be okay. Because our Lord and Savior is going to watch over and protect his church. I believe that we as a culture need to do what we can be. We as a church within this culture uh, need to do what we can be to be the salt and light that Jesus commanded us to be. The preserving agents of, uh, uh, in the world as well as vessels of the light of Christ. Without despairing when we see that the light just isn't shining as brightly as it could or should. And let's face it, the church in America is not as strong as it was three decades ago. Just simply is not. There's been an erosion within the church of God's truth being uh, taught from, from pulpits. And an erosion of the church itself being that light effectively. But let's not despair. Jesus is going to see us through. But our emphasis has got to be the teaching of God's word, spreading the gospel of Christ to people that they may get saved from their sin. A couple of weeks ago, we, we were looking at the Apostle Paul uh, leaving Athens and then arriving in Corinth, and we looked at his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and some statements that he made and, and, and just um, gained from that an understanding that Paul must have learned an awful lot in Athens that the Lord spoke to him about as he said to the Corinthians, as he wrote to them, that he determined to know nothing uh, among them except Christ and him crucified. And how our adversary must love it when we get so wrapped up in politics and legislature that we begin to neglect the spreading of the truth of God's word. Politics and legislature is necessary. I'm not saying that we ought not to be involved at all, but sometimes we get our priorities mixed up. The emphasis must be the teaching of God's word. 2 Timothy 3, just a few verses past what we just read about evil uh, men and imposters growing worse and worse. Verse 16 of chapter 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Paul continued, I charge you, therefore, writing to young Timothy, a pastor, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. The preaching of the word must be taking place through the Christian churches from the pulpits in those churches. And people who don't want to hear the preaching of the word are going to have to just leave the church rather than find a church where they will hear what they want to hear. Oh, I prayed that would happen. I wonder how much the attendance in churches would, would diminish if all people actually heard was the truth of God's word rather than some false teaching and, and, and some twisting of the scripture that, they, that, that is made so often from pulpits. Well, back to Acts 18. We see here, following this ruling of Gallio, in verse 16, he drove these Jews from the judgment seat and then in verse 17, then all the Greeks, really, that, that's all of those who are standing by. Now, and, and they would have been Greeks, but standing by and watching all this take place there uh, in Corinth. They took Sosthenes, the, the, the fairly recently appointed ruler of the synagogue. Remember that Crispus, the former ruler uh, 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 the synagogue came to faith in Christ, as we saw that earlier in the chapter. Well, they took him and beat him before the judgment seat, but Gallio took no notice of these things. So we see Gallio um, nobly making a right judgment call in terms of interfering with the affairs of the Jewish religion. But then when one of those Jews was taken and beaten, the ruler of the synagogue, he, he, he paid no attention. Um, it seems an obvious act of anti-Semitism, doesn't it? Um, the, the Jews were not the favorites, favorite group of citizens in the cities throughout the Roman Empire. There, there, there were... There were things that had been going on and so forth, but just the reality of the spiritual warfare. You know, one, one thing I, I want to take I want you to take note of also is that even as Crispus had come to faith and Sosthenes replaced him as the ruler of the synagogue, an interest an interesting statement being made in First Corinthians chapter one, verse one. As Paul begins his letter, he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church in Corinth. It does appear that Sosthenes became a follower of Christ, doesn't it? And then he was with uh, Paul in Ephesus writing a letter to the Corinthians, as Paul wrote this letter, his first letter to the Corinthians. Well, we see in the following passage that Paul returns to Antioch. So Paul remained a good while. He wound up staying there for a year and a half, right? Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. It's, it's obvious that you know, Aquila and Priscilla hit it off with the Apostle Paul, not simply because they were tent makers, because they were faithful followers of Christ, obviously. And, and they, they traveled with him uh, as he left from Corinth to head toward Asia, there in Syria, in Asia. He had his hair cut off at Sanctria, where he'd taken a vow. I'm going to read through the end of verse 23 here, and then I'm going to make some comments. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Now, he would not stay with him then, but on his third missionary journey, he would go to Ephesus 
and remain there for three years, teaching in the church. And then following that time, Timothy took over to be the pastor there in Ephesus. And when he, and when he had landed at Caesarea, verse 22, and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So in verse 23, Paul's third missionary journey begins. That's what, that's what, that's what we see in, in just a matter of a, a few verses. I mean, there are a lot of miles being covered here. And just these very few verses, let's not lose sight of that. Well, Paul took a vow there as he left uh, 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 there in Centria. And Centria is, is a port city close to uh, Corinth, there in Achaia, from which uh, people from Corinth would, would, would sail from. But he took a vow. We're not told what kind of a vow it is, but the cutting of his hair would seem to indicate that this was the Nazarite vow that, that many Jews would, would follow uh, according to uh, uh, tradition. A Nazarite vow could only be fulfilled by tradition uh, in Judea, but he was in Centria. Uh, some would say that it couldn't be a Nazarite vow, it must be some other vow, because it, according to Jewish tradition, it couldn't be fulfilled if he wasn't in Judea. But I can see Paul wanting to perform the vow, but just because he wasn't in Judea at the time, thinking Christ has freed us from these things, I want to perform the vow. That's what's in my heart. I'm going to do it here. That makes sense to me. I, I think it's probably what it is. It probably was a, a Nazarite vow. Um, the elements of the vow were this. He would eat nothing from the vine. No razor will touch his head. He wouldn't go, any, uh, go near any dead animal or person, for that matter, even a close relative. He will offer the sacrifices necessary as well as cut off his hair and burn it in a sacrificial fire to complete the vow. So he'd shave his head to begin with, and then the hair that grows during the process of the vow, he'd cut that hair off and burn it uh, to, to end the vow. It is a vow of consecration, a vow in which he would set himself apart to follow after God, to live a life of obedience to God, to be the man that God had called him to be. But shouldn't we all really consecrate our lives to the Lord that way? Not that we cut our hair, not that we do these kinds of things, you know, um, um, staying away from um, uh, dead people. I mean, people who, who die around us, a loved one. I mean, a person who would, would be, on, be taking this vow, if a loved one were, 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 to, to, were to die, they, they, they couldn't go near the body. Offering these sacrifices and all. It's very appropriate for every one of us to take a vow of consecration. To set ourselves aside for the use of God. That he might live his life through us. Paul wrote writing to the Corinthians later in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 17 through the first verse of the next chapter. He writes, therefore come out from among them. And be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Separating ourselves from the things of the world and consecrating ourselves to God in obedience to him brings a certain safety to us. God protects us when we do so. In Deuteronomy 5.29, one of my favorite Old Testament verses, you'll hear me quote this verse once in a while. This is 
the Lord God and Moses having a discussion about the people of Israel. Moses is frustrated with them. The Lord to a bit. But we see this coming from the Lord speaking to Moses about the people of Israel. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. See, God gives us guidelines. He gives us rules. He gives us commands for a reason, for our own protection. He knows what's going on in the world. He knows that the world is not functioning the way that he created it to. He understands that sin has entered into the world. He understands that, that as sin has entered in, that it has brought corruption, it, it, it has brought destruction, it, it has brought death and disease and illness, wickedness and evil. And he knows that if we stray away from his commands, then we begin to participate in the things of the world and become vulnerable to the cruelties of it. Now, even when we do not enter into participation with the world, we still suffer. We still go through the cruelties in this world. We still get sick. Our loved ones pass away. I'm getting into the habit and have been for a few years now of not saying that our brothers and sisters in Christ die because they don't. They themselves do not. The bodies through which, you know, the physical bodies that we knew them as, I mean, the, the, the face that we know, you know, I mean, that body has expired. But that person has gone up into the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? And those, those truths are becoming more and more precious to me as my honey is in this place where she's at in her illness. But God wants to protect us. And he does. He will. Following God's word protects us from the consequences of sin. Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. But those times that we do not, that we fail to take heed, he wants to forgive us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's be careful that we don't misquote that verse. We like to say he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But let's not forget, if we confess our sins. That doesn't mean that we just speak out our sins. In our hearts, we are in agreement that God calls it sin. And if we are in agreement that God calls it sin, then we will make an attempt to repent. We can speak repentance live it, we mess up again, we, add, we confess our sin to the Lord. It's not like he, that we confess and then we're okay with him, then we blow it, then we're not okay with him, then we have to confess. Then we're, we're not, it's not like we're spiritual yo-yos going up and down. No. If we belong to him, we will agree. And since we agree, and that word if, by the way, could be translated as since, since you confess your sins. That's what Christians do. That's what redeemed people do. We confess our sins to him. We agree with our, our Lord about the sins that we've committed. And then he does cleanse us from all sins and all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. What an amazing truth that is. So I encourage you, allow him to remove your guilt. Allow him to remove your shame, allow him to give to you 
what he has designed for you to have as his, as his child and begin to live a life of separation devoted to the, to the ways of God, devoting to serve God and one another through his grace. So as we close here in, uh, in verses 18 to 23, we, we already read through that. Following the taking of the vow, we, we saw that they came to Ephesus. He left uh, um, Aquila and Priscilla there in Ephesus after going into uh, the, the synagogue and preaching. They wanted him to stay because I can't. I got to go to got to get to Jerusalem. I need to uh, keep the, the next uh, feast there. Uh, but I can't say, but I'll come back, Lord willing. You know, I, I hope that we are getting more and more and more into the habit of saying, if God wills, Lord willing, Lord willing. My dad used to say, he, he was raised in Texas, and he, he used to say, oh, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. <laughs> I'll be there, kind of a thing, right? Uh, I, I love those sayings from the South, you know, they're just so practical, you know. The creek rises, and I'm not going to be able to cross it, so I won't make it. I guess the Lord's not willing if that's the case, but Lord willing. You know, but, but having that attitude, that heart, you know, Lord willing, I'll be there. And doing everything that we can, you know. And it doesn't mean you stay home and watch TV and say, oh, I guess the Lord didn't will me to go. You know what I mean? Lord willing, I'll be back. And he did come back, as I stated already. He stayed for a period of three years establishing the church there uh, and Timothy taking over as pastor. Well, we, we see in verse 22, they landed in Caesarea. He landed in Caesarea. And, and we see there that he, he had gone up and greeted the church. Jerusalem is not stated. But saying going up speaks of Jerusalem. You know, you don't go down to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's at, an ele uh, at, at over 3,000 feet elevation. You know, on one of our Israel trips uh, years ago, I think it was in a, toward the end of January, we actually got snow there. You know, and Don Stewart was with us on that particular trip. And uh, um, doggone it, man, we, we, were, we were trapped in the hotel with Don Stewart and he had to speak to us for a few hours. That was that was pretty cool, actually. It was very it was very cool, no pun intended. Um, yeah, it, it was neat to be there. Um, but he went up to Jerusalem, and then notice this. And then he went down to Antioch. Now, if you're looking at a map, Antioch is quite a bit north of Jerusalem. What we like to do, we're we're, we're going up. You know, we're going to go up to Santa Barbara. You know, that's what we'll do. But no, they went by elevation. He, they left the elevation of Jerusalem and they went down to Antioch, which was not too far from the coast up there in Syria. And that's where he went. And he went there to strengthen the churches. He spent some time there, departed, went over the region. Uh, we don't know how much time. Could have been a couple weeks, could have been a couple months. We don't know. Um, I sense it was a very short time. Stay there a little while to encourage them, let them know what's going on. And then he was off on his next journey. And he went to Galatia and Phrygia in order. Uh, that, that would have been the cities of, of Derby and, and Lystra and Iconium. Uh, going there again, strengthening the cities on his way west, this time headed for Ephesus. Like he wanted to go a couple years before. But the, but the Lord did not allow him to do so because he had some other things in mind. You know, let, let us not ever push too hard to do what we think the Lord might be leading us to do if he's closing a door. As he did with them. You know, the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit on that second missionary journey and going to the coast and then going to Macedonia, being in Greece, coming down to Corinth, it won for the church legally freedom to preach the gospel for years to come. It was 10, 11, 12 years later when the door got shut. But they had that 10-year period of time. 
We've got, a, uh, we've got an open door as well to share the gospel with people around us. Let's be open and free to do so. Because you guys know as well as I do, there are lots of people around us who simply need Jesus. And Father, we pray that you'll be with us. Lord, we would grant, we, we would pray, God, that you would grant to us. Lord, not only the freedoms that we have to share your word, we, we do. Lord, it's becoming less and less and less. That's true. But you do have the freedom. Even as we recognize the difficulties, might we stand firm? Might we hear what you said to the Apostle Paul? To not be afraid and to speak. Open your mouth, speak. Might every morning when we wake up, might we pray, Father, give me an opportunity to speak about you, to speak about your son, your forgiveness of sin, our need for that to somebody today. Lord, you're faithful. You're faithful. You open doors. Lord Jesus, you tell us in Revelation 3 that, that you open doors that no man can close and you close doors that no man can open. And so do that for us, God, we pray. We want to see people around us saved, family members, friends, those that we work with. God, have your way. Use us, God, we pray. And God, none of us will be an Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Paul is not alive today to impact people around us. You've got us in that sphere of influence with the people you place in our lives to speak to, to be a witness for you, to live for you. God, help us do so. And so we consecrate ourselves. We set ourselves aside to be used by you. Use us, God, we pray. To your honor, to your glory, to your praise, to your worship, we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.